Hello, welcome to another episode of A Pastor and His People. I am Pastor Witt here with Preacher Thomas. I'm here. Yes, it's I. It is I. Behold. Uh, we are in Zephaniah, taking a break from the book of Acts and taking a little trip through the Meyer Prophets. Thomas, why are the Meyer Prophets called the Meyer Prophets? Well, they didn't write as much as these guys we call major, you know? But it's not minor importance. I would not think so. No. I would not think so. It's all equally inspired. Just the amount of quantity of words Correct. they wrote. Yes, they and just were more concise and they got labeled minor because of it. Tough, tough. <laughs> uh, but the word of the Lord, nonetheless, came to Zephaniah. Yeah. To who? Uh, the people of Judah, pre-exilic Judah. Now, you mentioned that in your sermon, like, to Judah. Yeah. Why is that important for us? Uh, well, you know, at this point in time, the northern kingdom, so Israel's already been sent off to exile via Assyria, and so now you've got this last little group of God's people left in the land, known as Judah, the southern kingdom, and, uh, yeah, so this is pre-exile for them, they're the last little group of people here, and so it's pretty significant, we start to see, okay, judgment's going to be leveled against these, these people as, as well. And you preached through Zephaniah chapters 1 and 2. Correct. So when we were drawing sticks for preaching, <laughs> we we have Zephaniah for you to know, or three chapters. Yeah. We preached 1 and 2 this week, and then chapter 3 will be divided up into two sermons the next two weeks. Correct. We really like chapter 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We really want to slow down for chapter 3. That's right. Uh, maybe partially that is, uh, chapter one and two is full of judgment. Right. It's a, uh, while there is a lot of things there, it seems like the overarching theme in Zephaniah is God's justice and judgment. Correct. And you said this really starts off with a description of his judgment is what you called decreation. Sure. Yes. Where were you going there? What well, does that mean? I would just say on... Let me take off your comment and I'll get there. But, you know, I think, yes, this is a lot of text. And it's 33 verses. It's two chapters. All mm -hmm. that's true. But in terms of, yeah, a lot of it really is the same thing. It's lots and lots of judgment with just this little break of uh, something that's not judgment. It's called a repentance exhortation we'll get to at the beginning of chapter 2. But, you know, it, so again, uh, yes, it's a lot of text. But I do think a lot of this text is doing the same type of thing in, mm. in the life of the people of Judah. But yes, uh, decreation. So I was, uh, zoomed in right here on chapter, I mean, on chapter one, verse three. Sweep away man and beast and sweep away the birds, the heavens and the fish of the sea. So you kind of have this uh, reversal of, of the creation order here, right? Where these elements of creation are listed mm -hmm. in reverse order that you see them created in, in, uh, in Genesis. And so it maybe seems like this little intentional uh, theme or this, this uh, allusion to, so not creation, but mm -hmm. destruction or the reversal of, of God's creation with yeah. the hand of God. Yeah. That's good. And it seems, uh, as we kept going, that one of the main issues that God has with Judah is syncretism. Yes. We see that in the text. Help us think through that, because right, I'm not really tempted to worship uh, Bell or Milcom. Yeah. Right? These aren't really my temptations. Sure. Is there a way that Park Baptist Church may struggle with syncretism, or we should look out for syncretism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just even having a conversation with, with Samuel and Nate a few minutes ago, you know, where we have this, this tendency in our lives where, you know, we're, we're a people who are 
called out of this world, but we're still in this world. And so we struggle with, guess what? A lot of the same things that the, the world struggles with. And so a lot of the same, the, the temptations that we see in society around us are things that pull us and tempt us as well. So even while we are a people uh, for the Lord's own possession, and we're going to say, yes, we're God's people, uh, there's no distinction between us and, and Judah per se, because Judah is just being tempted by the society around them. Mm-hmm. And the society around them has this tendency to worship Baal and Milcom and the the hosts of heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would say that that's just them being victim to the context of society they're in. Mm-hmm. And we can very easily do that in the context of society that we're in. It'll just, just take uh, different names, and uh, we'll be, be beholden to different worldviews. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think any time society tries to pull us along while we're still possessing, while we're still declaring allegiance to the Lord, if we actually end up drifting and something else becomes ultimate for us, uh, we're, we're doing very much the same type of thing. Uh, reflecting on your life, what are ways that you've fought syncretism? Oh, man. Well, you know, I would definitely say, you know, I grew up, uh, I spent a lot of time as a, as a nominal Christian in, in my early life. And so, you know, really until I was I was 19, so when I was converted and started walking with the Lord, but I told you I was a Christian, you know, from the time I was like eight. Right. So, you know, even, it's funny, even made it into my sermon, like, yeah, football was kind of, an idol for me in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so like I'm possessing to know the Lord, but like, what do I really care about? Like football, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just, just even in, in other ways, like all these passions and, and, you know, interests that you might have that, that are good and right and fine and things that have been created by the Lord for us to enjoy, like, yep, a lot of those for me became primary concerns and primary mm-hmm. interests. And, you know, while I was claiming to be, in relationship with the Lord, like my life was actually driven by those things. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would I would say that's that's all around us for sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, and then in verse seven, right, there seems to be a little shift here. It says, "Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near." And this is where we start to see this kind of uh, theme or repetition, right, of this day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, explain that to us. This is the day of the Lord. Yeah, so again, uh, something very common in the Minor Prophets, right? The, the, the Book of the Twelve, is, as it's known in, um, in in the Jewish Scriptures, right? The way they organize their, their what we call our Old Testament. Um, it's, it's all one big unit, and there's this phrase very consistently in all the Minor Prophets where they, they're going to reference something to do with the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord always refers in some, uh, some aspect to God's uh, present and active and intervening judgment uh, against a people or in a, in a particular situation. And so I kind of tried to draw that out a little bit on Sunday by referencing over in Amos chapter 5 where uh, the northern kingdom Israel gets this very similar type of prophecy that mm-hmm. we see here, this very similar type of warning of the judgment that is to is to come among them before their day of the Lord, right, when they have their run-in with Assyria. So that's the time in 722 B.C. where God is going to intervene and judge their actions, their, their covenant unfaithfulness. And so in the same way, you're seeing that here with, with Judah, and we could turn other places in the, in the Old Testament and, and see that as well in the, in the Minor Prophets. But again, you know, as we think about the whole Bible and its cohesion, there's obviously this, this great day, this once and for all ultimate final day uh, that we, we think about when we hear the, the day of the Lord, right? The day mm-hmm. when the Lord's going to return and gather his people to himself and, and execute judgment on, on those who don't know him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I call that. I think that theme is again talking about the the intervention, the direct intervention of God in in these people's lives, and it points us forward to uh, the final day of the Lord as well. Hmm. Uh, we actually, guys, brace yourselves. 
we had a question brought into us via text this week for our podca- wow. podcast. Uh, the Faithful Few, uh, they're live and acting and sending in questions. Our question is about the day of the Lord. Okay. And the question is, because you brought this out in your sermon, that there was a, and just now, right, the the imminent one that's coming, right, the Bab- Babylon, Babylon's coming in God's day of judgment and all this stuff that's going to take place. Right. But also the coming day of the Lord of Christ's return. Right. And he, and our uh, question asker, Jay Camp, thank you for your Jay, question. Hey, I hope I can answer the question, man. Is how much did the author, Zephaniah, understand that the day of the Lord was not just Babylon, but also there was another day coming? Uh-oh, he's flipping, he's flipping. Yeah, I'll just start by saying I think that's a fantastic question. I think it's hard to give a definitive answer to that. I think... Um, you know, I'll turn it over to Second Peter, so don't butcher the quote. Second uh, <laughs> Peter chapter one verse twenty-one: No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the question Jay is really asking here is, how aware is Zephaniah of what this Spirit is carrying him along to write? You know, and, and Zephaniah definitely is has this awareness. I think that there's this imminent judgment coming. He's very, mm-hmm. very aware of that. And I would think as well, Jay and others who may be wondering the same thing, um, as this theme continues to catch tra- traction among the, the prophets, right, there's probably is some level of awareness like, oh, hey, this is a theme. Like, God keeps bringing this back up mm-hmm. uh, over and over again. So I think they at least would have been aware, just speaking of the minor prophets, like, hey, there's some there's some kind of theme um, going on here. I'll flip back to First Peter now that we're, now you got me thinking about it. Um, Chapter 1, verse 10 of 1 Peter, concerning the salvation of the prophets who prophesied about mm-hmm. the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I think we could load probably the future day of the Lord into the subsequent subsequent glories category. Mm-hmm. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Uh, things into which angels long to look. So again, I think there's room there for this to be some level of mystery to, to Zephaniah. So I think that's one of those things that, one of the hidden things that belongs to the Lord probably in, until mm-hmm. until we get to glory is we just probably won't know how aware Zephaniah was mm-hmm. of, hey, this isn't just imminent, this is also in the future. Though I would speculate he had awareness it was a double fulfillment type thing. Yeah. First uh, Peter. Chapter 1, verse 10. Yep. Spoiler alert. You're going to hear that Sunday morning for our scripture okay. reading. Because okay. of, uh, particularly because of things like this, of what the prophets are doing, that the New Testament does speak about the prophecies of the old and how they are fulfilled. And uh, Jay, I, I would just echo what uh, Thomas says here. Uh, you have a guy right now at Southern named Jim Hamilton, and he's really big on this, and he would lean more towards, uh, they. the prophets knew a lot more than we give them credit for that they knew their Old Testament well, and they were seeing these patterns of the day of the Lord and how prophecies were, were being filled uh, partially in time, but also they were also pointing to other things, right? This is why when Christ comes, they were expecting a Messiah. It's because they wasn't saying the Messiah is coming. It's, uh, the anointed one, uh, the king's coming, right? The king, uh, this is what gave us clues that, and so I think they would have known that a lot of prophecies did have that double fulfillment. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you know, I would even say, like, just as you look through, through the text, like, 
verses 17 and 18, as you start to get down towards mm-hmm. the end of chapter 1, like, ah, uh, that starts to feel bigger than mm-hmm. the imminent. So I think you do get specific, like, flavorings of, like, this right. is bigger than what's about to happen. You know? Yeah, that's good. Um, and then, well, right, so, ch- so chapter 1, we also see this quote that really stuck out to me as you were going through it. Yeah. It was... Um, at, at verse 12, at the time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Mm-hmm. That really just stuck out to me. And these people are like, because honestly, I feel like that's maybe where uh, people of the West, right? Science, deism yeah. almost, right? Yeah. Could you maybe speak to that as you were you know, going through that? And yeah. it, it struck me the same way it struck you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I made a note even on my little and now mm-hmm. my exegetical stuff I got written up here that, you know, maybe read complacent as apathetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they strike me as very deistic-minded people because yeah. they're, and they're steeped in uh, Old Testament Judah here. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, they believe there's a God. Right. Like, they are not atheists. They are not like, oh, there's mm-hmm. no God. They are fully going to affirm there is a God. Their lack of, of rightful-heartedness here, so their mm-hmm. wrong worship, it, it stems from this fact they think God's detached. Um, they've they've yeah. lost they've lost any sense of God's uh, imminence mm-hmm. and and yeah I think that that's the that's the root here so it struck me very much the same way it struck you and yes I would say that we struggle with that a lot as well mm-hmm. um, you know it's easy for us to to look around and not see maybe we just oh God just doesn't do what He used to do He doesn't He's not splitting the Red Sea anymore right. There's not these big yeah. intervening that right and you can it, yeah I think people do get complacent, do get apathetic, and mm. don't think about spiritual matters and the the state of their soul as much as you do the daily necessity of I gotta get here and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And some of that busyness kind of breeds that complacency mm. uh, in our hearts and how we relate to the Lord and it can make you think yeah. God's not all that concerned with what's going on right here, right now. That's good. Also in verse twelve you kinda of took your time here with this of at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Yeah. Right, and drawing that illustration of like they're thinking God won't do anything and he's by saying I'm going to take my time I'm going to be methodical yeah. no one's escaping like like you said using a flashlight yeah. over the, that was really good that was helpful is there anything else in chapter 1 that you you know as we're once again this is sermon reflection yeah. and um, trying to apply it more to our lives this week anything that really stuck out to you that you want to address that you maybe didn't get to man you know off the top of my head uh I can't just think of anything. I think it's one of the challenges when you go <laughs> at such an overview pace. Right. It's hard to think of like specific things you want to spend more and more time mm-hmm. on. Uh, I would just say like it's interesting rhetorically in 15 and 16, you get a day, a day, a day, a day, a day, a day, and you got all these pairs, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of drew out at the end like this, you got this, these last few sets of pairs that really draw your mind back to Exodus when God is, is meeting with these people and he's mm-hmm. meeting these people to give them the covenant. Right? And Zephaniah now has this day where God is present and just as active and mm-hmm. he's just as much there as he is in Exodus. And this time it's, it's for their ill. And I just I thought that was really yeah. interesting. It got my attention somewhere. I maybe wish I could have camped out and spent um, uh, a little more time. Right. I, would, I would say this, you know, it's interesting too. Uh, just so I look over it again in 12 and really 13, you start getting... They're going to be plundered. Their houses are going to be laid waste. They're going to build houses and they won't live in them. They're going to mm-hmm. plant vineyards. They're not going to get any wine from them. So it's interesting how that turns in chapter 2 
where all of a sudden the nations are going to be judged. And mm-hmm. guess who's going to benefit from their labors that they're not reaping the fields? Oh, the remnant of this people of Judah. Mm-hmm. So even as judgment's kind of being leveraged against Judah here, some of the same uh, phrases that are used to describe their judgment are now going to be used against the nations, and Judah's going to kind of be the beneficiary. So I just thought that was interesting, and kind of yeah. goes back to what me and you have already talked about a little bit today. Mm-hmm. God's not a, a, a respecter of persons here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, right, The like you mentioned, the connection to Exodus, Mount Sinai. Because I heard one person say once of um, this, because Sinai is where God's meeting with Moses and his people, yeah. and this would have been really the first time that God has meeting with his people since the garden mm. that while it's been the angel of the lord yeah. kind of thing it's really like you know it's god himself is on the mountain right last time was in the garden and things were great and then the condemnation came and now when he comes down to visit his people it's gloom it's darkness because there's an issue now yeah there, there's sin that's been involved and it's kind of very interesting if you compare this to the garden to now it's like ooh, when he comes it's not to walk in the cool of the day anymore. Right. It's there's it, it just screams there's an issue here between right. God and, and these people. That's good. Yeah. Um, so chapter two. Yeah. Uh, is there a you said there's a, a change here? What's the change? What's what's shifting? Well, it, se- it seems like more judgment to me. Yeah, it's more judgment. You get this little break though at the first kind of three verses where mm-hmm. I would say the theme of the first three verses is exhortation to uh, repent mm-hmm. and kind of the way I structure my sermon thinking about great and terrible, terrible and great. And by the way, if you wonder where that came from, where I got those words, that was a, even a reference to the day of the Lord as it's talked about in Joel. Hmm. Like Joel talks about the great and terrible day of the Lord, or great and awesome in the ESV, but great and terrible in some other translations. Hmm. Uh, but regardless, you know, you kind of swap from all this terrible news that you were getting to this great news. Like, there's this great news that they still have an opportunity to uh, repent, and that's captured right there in verses 1 through 3. And then the rest of the chapter, really, that continues the shift is now there still is judgment, but judgment is aimed at uh, their enemies, the, the neighbors around them too. Uh, and I'm, you know, something I could have spent more time on. Grant caught it, so thanks, Grant, for, mm-hmm. for catching it. But you know, you got specific judgment uh, against their enemies to the west, and to the south, and to the east, and to the to the north. So there's judgment falls all around them in, in every uh, single direction. So judgment now. Is not primarily being aimed at, at Judah, but against Judah's enemies. Which, I mean, it sounds like this is dark and gloomy. Yeah. But you're kind of picturing, especially with verses 1 through 3, that actually the judgment of the nations is good news for the audience here. Yeah, absolutely. So they would have heard it says, yay, not, ooh. Yeah, and I think that gets, you know, particularly clear, uh, probably with the Philistines, but especially, I think, the Syrians, right? you got the Syrians who really have been these oppressors of God's people for, mm-hmm. you know, century plus at this point in time. And the Lord's saying to them, like, hey, you've taunted and boasted against my people, right? Uh, and you've you've said in your heart, I am and there's no other. Uh, the tables are going to turn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you think you're so great, Nineveh. You think your city's so impressive. I'll tell you who's going to be living there after I get done with you. Uh, beast and hedgehogs and owls. <laughs> Right, you know, so, yeah, there's there's just really great reversal. These people who are self-declared, self-proclaimed enemies of of God, really, and particularly God's people, explicitly God's people, the the tables are turned, and and they are, uh, they're punished, and even Mm -hmm. as they're punished, who's there to 
to be rewarded in the midst of punishment while this remnant of the people of Judah. So how does this help me on a Wednesday morning or a Thursday afternoon? How does judgment on nations and yeah. these things, how does that help me live my life this week? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the most comforting thing, like, I'm convicted about this often. If you just read the New Testament, they are such an eschatologically focused people. Hmm. Like, they are expected about there's a day, there's a day coming where the Lord's going to make all things right, and the best thing me and you can do right now is live in light of that day. And so hmm. what that means for you Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning when you get out of bed, is that you do not have to seek out vengeance hmm. on people who have wronged you. You don't have to defend your own honor and your own glory and your your own, well, I think I should stick up for myself here, right? You're not you're not saying you should be doormatted either. But I'm not uh, I'm definitely saying what I'm definitely saying is like you can live in light of the fact that there's a day when all evil is going to be exposed for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord's people are going to be rescued and vindicated and they are going to be gathered to him to reign with him and then judgment and wrath is going to fall on those who have rejected the Lord and rejected his uh, His gospel. So again, I, I think, I say all that to say, mm-hmm. I think it helps us to live in light of these explicitly spiritual realities because there's a day coming when everything that's been hidden is going to be Expose everything that's been whispered um, is going to be shouted from the housetop. So I think I think that changes the way we look at life. Mm, that's good. Uh, anything else from chapter two that you didn't have time to draw out that you really wanted to, or anything else you think the people would uh, need to hear? You know, I think the biggest thing, and again, we've kind of talked about this a little bit. I, I think if there's one more thing you could do with this with this text that you know I didn't have time to do in the mm-hmm. 40 minutes that I had spent on these 33 verses if you could do something more about the idea of this remnant you know mm-hmm. right because even as we just talked about in, in staff meeting um, in first John in chapter 2 verse 19 why is he writing this letter he's writing this letter to these people so that they may know that they have eternal life mm-hmm. why do they need to know that because in chapter 2 verse 19 all these people have walked away from him Hmm. Right, So it's this reminder to the Lord's people that, yes, everything is really, really, really bad around you. And yes, society leans in a very different way than hmm. the Word of the Lord encourages us to lean. But it's this subtle whisper in your ear that, hey, like you're not crazy. Yeah. Right? Like God has his people, and they are legitimately a remnant. And people are right. going to turn away from him. He, he, he's aware of that. People are going to reject him. He's aware of that. Um, and before this day comes, there will be a lot of things that are that seem like they're going to be left unjustified and unsolved and not made right. He's aware of that, and he's still going to make it all right. And there are there's this faithful remnant uh, that he, he's going to keep to the end. Yeah, every time I hear remnant, uh, I always go to uh, think of Gary Huddleston, who did our uh, meditation reading and uh, prayer confession this Sunday. Uh, he always, I mean, for me, he's helped me in ministry and things like that, drawing out the idea of uh, Elijah when he's, Talking yeah, to the Lord every time, yeah. And you know, Elijah's like, I'm, I'm the only I'm, one. I'm the only one left. I, and I was like, well, there's three thousand who have not bowed the knee. Yeah. You know, who haven't kissed Bell. And so sometimes it does feel like, oh, I'm alone, or I'm at my workplace, or like, <laughs> it's like, no, like the Lord has His people. He has you right where He wants you. Yeah. Uh, trust Him. Uh, that's good. Th- thank you, brother. Uh, thank you for bringing the word. Yeah, uh, would you uh, pray us out? I would love to. Oh Lord, uh, we do just thank you for, uh, again, your word and for your kindness and uh, goodness to communicate 
uh, so much of your will to us, Lord. You've not left us in darkness, but Lord, you've given us everything that we need to know to pursue uh, life and, and godliness, Lord. So we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for uh, the word that is Jesus Christ, your son. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you still call people to repent on the way to this this great and terrible day, Lord. And we know that for all those who are in Jesus Christ, Lord, that we will be uh, hidden on that day. Lord, we thank you that you do preserve your people, Lord, that there there is a faithful remnant and that faithful remnant will make it to the finish line. So, Lord, I ask just for uh, for, for Whit and I right now and for any of, uh, any of our folks who might listen to this podcast, Lord, would your hand of protection just be uh, upon us, Lord? Would you keep us? Would you protect us from uh, the snares of the devil, Lord? And uh, I pray that we uh, would walk in a manner uh, worthy of the gospel now, uh, looking forward to that day uh, when all will be made new once and for all. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the grace and the hope that you've extended to us, and we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.